Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. After a week off, there is way too much to talk about. Alongside Dr. Mitchell Roslin, my name is Greg Sussman, and this, this is Doc Jock. What's going on, Doc? How are you, Greg? I'm doing really well, Doc. We have a lot to get to tonight. A, a lot to get to. It's 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 really been an interesting time, and you know, I want I want to start by saying, you know, when when, when we talk about people and quarterbacks, everybody talks about well, in New York, he's a 37 year old quarterback. Let, let's let's be straight. The best quarterbacks in the NFL, some of them are, are, are 40 and above, or 39. Tom, Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, they're all getting up there in age. And Drew you Brees, know, too, and you, you left out Drew Brees, which I think is really a great place to start because classically we, we all start out by saying Brady, Rodgers, then Brees. Yes. And maybe that's not right. I mean, what Drew Brees has done is just unbelievable. He was unbelievable yesterday. Um, virtually never throws an interception. 39 years old. Team, you always feel the Saints have a, a, a puncher's chance. Um, he, he, you know, it, it, it's hard to say this, but do you think Drew Brees is underrated? You know, you, you always- in a way, you know, in a way, it's interesting because he has the record for most passing yards, and and he's has record after record after record, and yet. He's not in that conversation with a Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. I think it's a good question. Why? Why? It's, I, I guess it's like my answer, and, and this is going to really, really sound stupid. Yeah. But it's the same way, reason historically taller people, taller candidates always win the presidency. Is it our— Is that still a thing? Is it well? It's kind of, kind of, but actually, yeah. Trump beat Hillary. I mean, so it, <laughs> you know, it's definitely related to height for sure. I, I don't know if that was related to height, but <laughs> but you know, it, it's it's yes, it's it's always been a thing that the taller person okay seem what and, and what 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 really goes down to and 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 this was interesting in Trump and Hillary, not to deviate, is that people since television has been historically have said it's the person who most looks like presidential, right? So that. The classic Kennedy, and this was even before my time, and Nixon, it was the first televised debate. Yes. And Nixon was sweating really heavily and didn't look like commander of chief, and Kennedy looked the part. So what people have always said is that the person who looks the most presidential tends to win. So maybe Drew Brees, and you know what my favorite Drew Brees fact is? Who's the greatest American tennis player you know, since Agassiz retired and Sampras has retired. Everyone always says Andy Roddick. Who did Drew Brees beat as a junior in tennis? Andy Roddick. Andy Roddick. Tells you what kind of athlete he is. Now, in all fairness to Andy Roddick, Drew, Drew, he was playing in an age group, like Drew Brees is a few years older than him, so he's playing in an older age group. Sure. But it tells you what kind of athlete that Drew Brees is. 
And, you know, when he ran to the sideline and, 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 you know, even now they put Taysom Hill to run, but it doesn't mean that Drew Brees can't move. And um, I think Drew Brees is, is, is underrated. But what it really brings in is one of my frustrations is when you listen to people around New York say, well, the Giants needed to pick a quarterback because Manning's 37 years old. It's not because he's 37 years old, because Brady's still right. doing it. He's never been hurt. Okay. Phyllis Rivers and Roethlisberger are in the same draft class and still playing. Right. Okay. Um, Breeze is 39 years old. And, you know, these guys seem to still be at the peak of their career. And with better training, better sports medicine, better physical fitness, and changing rules where these guys aren't getting they're protected, hit, they're protected. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be uncommon that those that are really, really bright and picture the game can play into an advanced age. So why, so what is the reason? Because you're right. All of Eli, not all, but most of Eli's contemporaries are all thriving at their late age, at this late stage in their career. Is it the team around him? Is it him? What is the reason why so many people are calling for Eli to go? I think it's because what we said, Eli has no escapability. And I think that it takes us into what good organizations, whether it's Alabama, you know, or the New England Patriots who can make Cordell Patterson, you know, a cast off in three different places or running back last week have and that the Giants don't. I think that number one, it starts out with the Giants weren't consistent with what they wanted to be. And it goes back to. They win a Super Bowl. They have a down year. Yes, they played kind of a pocket, run the ball, throw the ball deep type offense with a lot of wide receiver and quarterback reads, you know, basically Ron Earhart's system. And maybe it wasn't as sexy as what was going on in Green Bay at the time and, you know, the West Coast and the spread type offenses. So the Giants said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to bring in Ben McAdoo sure. to, to, to run this new sexy offense. And then they draft accordingly and they get away from doing. And I think their personnel and their play group matching do not match what Eli was capable of doing. And then you add to it the salary cap going in and you have to pick your poison. So if you decide to have seven or $20 million receivers, it means that you're going to have to have $600,000 linemen and the match doesn't match. And Eli doesn't have escapability, winds up getting hit, and now he kind of overreacts. He almost doesn't want to get hit and stay in the pocket and and certainly not the same quarterback that we saw San Francisco beat to a living pulp but take the Giants to a a Super Bowl. And I think that with their current personnel, you know, we should see. We should put in a quarterback. And, you know, again, while we were gone, one thing we discussed last week is that Kyle Laletta, even not playing, has shown some escapability, but maybe <laughs> but maybe in the wrong in the wrong domain. Right. And yeah, I think it's a good place to go because this happened last week again when we were off. And with Kyle Laletta, to me, it's not even the crime so much of him trying to get around everybody to go to work and going on the shoulder, and we've all been in that traffic on 495, going in the tunnel. Like, we know how brutal it is. To me, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. We all hear the quarterbacks are there at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Why is the quarterback late to work? This, is, this isn't some random scrub. This is a guy that has the ability potentially to start games for the New York Giants later this year. How could Kyle Laletta 
not at work at 8 a.m. And I think that, again, I can't answer the questions because I don't know what the expectations are and put in. And, And I think this is what's going on commonly as to what are the expectations. I, I can tell you that, you, you know, there's an old saying that fishes rot from the head down. It's a terrible thing to say going on. But I think the Maras have lost sight. I think John Mara has whiffed on his last two coaching assignments. Um, I, I, I always felt that there was something really adrift with Ben McAdoo's body language. Sure. And all of his comments, while... Great for people like me and you. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And show some degree of football perceptiveness and wonderful fodder for the fans. uh, Totally a lack of professionalism. Because I think that to be said, you know, there's another old saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And I think what happens in the locker room, especially when you coach players, should stay in the locker room. And I think that a sophisticated leader never belittles the people right. that he plays with, you know, and especially when it's a target like an Eric Flowers sure. or something like that. Sure. Um, you, you know, just because you're drafted in the NFL and just because you're a big person doesn't mean you don't have failings, doesn't mean you don't have parents, doesn't mean you don't have kids. And when a coach goes and does that, you know, especially when it's related to your performance, I'm not talking to a lack of, you know, certain acts of omission per se, you know, different. I, I think that's kind of disappointing. And I think that you watch the Giants with Sherman and you see everybody else with a bad offensive line basically running misdirection so that the rush, there are other things you can do to negate the rush. And it seems like the Giants' one solution is just to dump the ball off to Barkley and hope that he, 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 he can make seven people miss. And in the process, they'll probably wind up shortening his career. I would go to Loletta because I think you have to answer the question sure. that we just asked. Of course. And, 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 and it may be that the Giants' offensive line is absolutely terrible and nobody, and it's unfair to put a young player behind it. Or it may be that the kind of get the ball out of your hands, make a quick decision, run quick plays – you know, I'm going to let the defensive end come naked, run a bootleg to slow him down type of offense that Shermer ran with Case Keenum yep. is not suitable to to Eli. And Shermer may not be capable of changing his offense to meet his personnel. He may need his personnel to meet his offense. Yeah, and we always say that when it comes to coaches, that is pretty much the worst thing that you could do is make the personnel fit your offense rather than allowing your offense to fit the personnel. And that, that's actually a really great transition, Doc, because I wanted to get into Cleveland and what they did last week by seeing all this turmoil that they had in-house for years with Hugh Jackson and everybody was the scapegoat but Hugh. Last week at this time, Hugh Jackson was let go along with his offensive coordinator, Todd Haley, who there was infighting with. Freddie Kitchens takes over. He was the running backs coach for QB coach in Arizona. And along with Greg Williams, which is another interesting story, promoted as the head coach. And it was a different offense, right? It was utilizing the running backs more, trying to, to use some of Baker Mayfield's strength. And while they, they fell yesterday to Kansas City, one of the best teams in the NFL, it was a different, and someone say more successful offense. A lot to kind of unpack here with Cleveland, Doc. Well, so you start with the fact that Jimmy Haslin has been through so many coaches. Yes, sir. And it's hard to think about that. 
prospectively, but in this microscopic decision, I think that, you know, if you're in any sort of partnership, whether it's me and you on the radio. Yes, sir. Okay. The idea of a, of a show, our show does well if you and I are perceived as an entity. Right. In other words, the entity is more than any of the individual personalities. No doubt about it. Okay. You're getting in, 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 you know, you're engaged to get married. Marriages do well when you view the entity as the primary rather than doing what's best for each individual. Of course. And hoping that that leads to the same thing. Naturally. When your offensive coordinator and your coach can't get along, I think you have no choice but to execute both of them. I think you basically, first of all, you, you, you know, you can say it's insubordination and, and that's where they kind of hired Haley. You know, this is almost, you know, Coughlin didn't bring McAdoo in. Okay. The Giants brought McAdoo in. Okay. It's true. Okay. And if you're going to coach the team and Coughlin should have resigned at that time. Right. He should have walked out the door, you know, and, and not compromised. Mm-hmm. If you're going to bring in, you are sending a message that your coach is a figurehead, but he's really not, you know, I'm making the big decisions. And, you know, if you put a gun to Todd Halley, he would not think that he was reporting to you, Jackson. Correct. Okay? That is correct. And, 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 and that starts at the top, okay? And one of the strange things is, okay— you, you know, you look at the Patriots, you know that everyone reports to Belichick and maybe to some extent Brady. And I think that relationship is a lot like the Parcells, Lawrence Taylor, which is I coach them all differently. You know, type of deal. <laughs> right. OK. Right. <laughs> you, you, you know, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I think players can understand that. I, I don't think anybody has a huge issue with Tom Brady having, you know, more, more. Leverage. You know what's fascinating? I told you I was listening to this. Watch the bang. Watch the bang. I was listening to this Gladiator on. Yes, uh, you were telling me this. Yes, yes, on, yes. On podcast, uh-huh. and we we he, the the things about Aaron Hernandez, which again tell you that you know Belichick only cares about one thing: winning, winning. football, much like Urban Meyer, games. and and Urban Meyer, which we who we've discussed before, um, and and said that he was out of touch with everything that's going on. I mean, I mean, when Aaron Hernandez first got to Florida, according to Spotlight, which is the Boston Globe's investigative mm-hmm. unit, that as we, all, as we all know now, as we all know now, <laughs> that, that basically brought down the whole uh, the movie about the whole Catholic priest that Spotlight. Went, mm-hmm. Spotlight, which one was one of the best pictures of the year. Yes. While he, he first basically the first week he was on campus, punched a bartender, broke his eardrum, got arrested. The first call he made was to Urban Meyer. There were three other incidents that happened. There were so many signs of him being completely off the reservation, but an incredible talent. You know, it even suggests that Urban Meyer pushed him to go to the pros because he was getting too too out of hand in Gainesville. Mm -hmm. It's so unbelievable where we are and and I think this was Urban Meyer's surprise because imagine you allowed somebody who shot people down at the University of Florida or alleged that was never shown alleged okay but clearly has now shot people in the nightclub before he shot Odin Lloyd you know that that's fairly 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 well proven um 
And the only time he's ever been reprimanded is when his assistant coach had a thing of domestic abuse. When you look at relative what he's put up with down in Florida, this was relatively mild. And it, sure. it, it really is what I think in at the same time, not to get off on another tangent, the NCAA trial where the Adidas executives got convicted. What is the true role of a college coach? And I think we, we, almost, talked, we talked about this. We, well, we talked about it off the air. I almost think that there should be an amnesty position. Let people come clean because right now the job description is to win at all costs and don't wind up on outside the lines or in the media. Don't embarrass us, but win at all courts. And as long as you can do that, we'll reward you with a contract extension, i.e. Bruce Pearl. Bruce Pearl has put every school. Provision. Yeah. Okay. Every, you know, he's been at a bunch of bar mitzvahs in the area. Jews love him. Okay. <laughs> he, he wins as a coach. Okay. He's got a great personality, but he's cheated every place he's sure. ever been. Okay. His assistant coach gets arrested, is going to, you know, trial right now. And sure. he gets a contract extension because he takes the Colin Sexton team sure. to an outstanding year. Okay. So is that the job description? You, we saw DJ Jerkin get fired, hired, refired, all in in three days, and you, you know, you know, the question is, is oh boy. what is the, what do we expect? Yeah, and, and 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 where are we in these in these in these things? Yeah, and I think it's a it's a very fair question. What do we expect? What do we think? What do we care about? I think those are, those, are the, those are the three questions. What, what do we expect, right? Do we expect these coaches to be moral human beings? Do we expect them... And if they are and they don't perform, cheat, right. but they're 500, is that good enough for Correct. us? And I think in certain cases, and listen, I, I don't know who cheats and I don't know who doesn't, right? But I look at a guy like a David Cutliffe in Duke, who's been there a long time now. Now, he's had more success than most Duke coaches ever, but they're around 500 every year. Sterling reputation because of his connection with the Mannings. And certainly doesn't seem in danger of losing his job. Is that enough? For some, yes. You look in other sports where you're mediocre. You're a good guy, but you're not good enough. Now, John Beeline is known as, we've talked about this off the air, John Beeline is known as one of the most honest and, and good Hearted and moral coaches in any sport in college sports, and and, the, and one had, of the few people in the Big Ten, besides you know my close friend Fran McCaffrey right. at University of Iowa, that doesn't have any arrangements to pay kids, whereas a bunch of the other schools probably do. And that is before you and I had this conversation. This was almost in the subtext when it came to John Beeline, right? Like, when they're talking about the tournament, they talk about how great of a guy and a coach John Beeline is and a person. And you see how good of a coach he is because, to me, the mark of a good coach is from the beginning to the end of the season when a team improves. And John Beeline's team improve every year. And everyone says this about John Beeline. Now, let me ask you this. John Beeline's at Michigan, who had their share of problems, obviously, in the past. If John Beeline was 500 every single year, would he still have a job? No. No, and, 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 and because the, the boosters at places like this, they want success. And you have to ask yourself a question. Bruce Bowen, according to the records, people offered 100 
Not Bruce. Bruce Bowen played for the Spurs. But yeah. Brian Bowen. Okay. Brian Bowen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kid that was supposed to play at Louisville that just enrolled at University of South Carolina. Sure. I want to apologize to Bruce Bowen. He's one of the great, <laughs> great defensive players. I don't want to get an email like saying that he was paid to play college basketball. He, he's an analyst at ESPN. But according to... Pretty much, it's it's in trial that Brian Bowen was offered a hundred thousand dollars to play for Duke, to to play for Louisville. Um, there there were wires going to Kansas about this kid De Souza. Um, then you ask yourself, why are all these kids going to Kentucky, or and you can never say the name Mike Krzyzewski or Duke? Now I could buy that they're going to Duke because they want to get coached by Krzyzewski because he, he has coached the Olympic team. And I could buy, I don't buy they're going to Duke because it's Duke. So, you know, I, one I, year. so I used to buy that with, with Mike Krzyzewski, that it was Krzyzewski. And I, you saw it. He's the greatest coach ever. It's changed. Because he so has do you changed. think Zion Williams and mm-hmm. is, it, it, you know, somebody is paying him to go to Duke? Do you think R.J. Barrett, do you think that when you get the top three recruits and everybody else, because, you know, again, and and I have no inside information, but the common sense test would tell you, why is somebody going to turn down $100,000 to go to potentially Louisville or South Carolina? And I don't want to hear that Duke is, you know, you know, one of the top, believe it, I know that Duke has, Duke has, <laughs> has, has, you know, few equals, you know, you're talking about the top Ivy League schools, Duke and Stanford, I get it. But these kids are there for, they show up before school starts, they, their college experience ends right after March Madness. They don't even complete two semesters of yep. school mm-hmm. because they're going to the NBA yep. and that, that's the one and done system. And I don't have any problem with it, but it's hard for me to believe they were there for the Duke education or they're there because they find the academic enrichment for the six months that they're on campus to be so so superior to other schools. So there has to be a reason why they're going. It could be that the practices prepare them better. I think that's part of the allure of Alabama, that you're being coached by the best in in that. I want to get into Alabama in a second, but yeah. Thing. I, I think that, you know, to some extent, Calipari was the first to endorse this. Definitely. And, and Definitely. But Calipari, you know, there, you know, Penny Hardaway, who's coaching Memphis, there was a big, tra- you know, trail. Not, not Penny, excuse me. I'm, I'm getting confused. Derek Rose. There was Derek Rose was supposedly academically ineligible for. Oh, and they, and they lost. They lost their finals. They lost their finals appearance. I think because he had someone else take the SATs for him. Or something. Probably so. And and University of Massachusetts, the um, the the uh, the team that um, Marcus Camby was on. Marcus Camby was mm-hmm. on. Wound up on probation. So. You know, it, it, it's interesting. You know, you leave two schools on probation and you become like um, a legend. Messiah, really. It, 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 like Bruce Pearl got a raise, you know. So w- what's going on here? I'd really, really, I, I'm really curious to know, you know, how Duke winds up with the three top players. Is that completely? Now, Koshevsky would tell you that he chooses to recruit kids that come from great families and things like that. Yep. I don't know. 
So does everyone else, I sure. would think. Sure. I mean, what are your thoughts? You know, I, so I, I said to you before, I, I go back and forth. Like Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski is the greatest college basketball coach of all time. I believe that. I, I, I truly believe that. And you want to play for Coach K. But over the past few years, it's changed. Like Coach K didn't go after one and dones because that was John Calipari's thing. And for years, that was John Calipari's thing. No matter how he, were, he was getting them, that was the John Calipari thing. Now, Coach K has dipped into that pool. And players like Zion Williamson, who have a following now, players like R.J. Barrett, they have a following now, I just can't imagine they do anything for free, in all honesty. And maybe that's me being naive. They're like, oh, how could they do anything for free? Well, maybe, maybe it's it true. May, maybe it helps their brand name. Maybe. To go to it didn't help uh, Okafor's brand name. Certainly not. Absolutely not. You know, I, I, I don't know the, 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 the point, but if everybody's paying people, why would the best players be going there for free? Right. I agree. And, and, and I'm totally with you with that. And, and, you know, again, what's really, really strange is they put Bayheim, Be- mm-hmm. who's also been a great college coach, but if anybody says whether Jim Bayheim's a cheater or not, and anybody puts a gun to anybody who knows sports head, yep. what's the answer? Yes. Okay. Okay. Roy Williams. Yes. Okay. And he sits in, like, again, this is like, you know, you know, you know you, when you put, as you age, mm-hmm. people believe like you're less dangerous per se. Sure. You, know, you put three old, old timers together and, and he's there saying that he thinks that all of this is overblown. I don't think it's overblown. And I, I, I think I have zero problem with college kids getting paid, especially as coaches are doing really well. But I do have a problem with the hypocrisy. Okay. If you're a great leader and these are the rules and this is the integrity right. of the game, right. why are you playing by a different set of rules? And if these rules are not sustainable, I'd really prefer Krzyzewski, who everybody thinks is beyond criticism, to say, sure, let's have some full disclosure here. Let's change the rules. Let's really be a leader. Rather than, you know, this wonderful piece about, like, shooting for the extreme that's on ESPN right now. Uh-huh. If, the, if, if, if what's going on is going on, you know, this is like steroids in baseball right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. My problem with the steroid era was I felt that the, the players who were blamed for taking it, imagine how we feel when somebody doesn't put maximum effort for their team. Look at how we all feel about Mary, uh, Manny Machado. You know, goddamn World Series, he can't run out a ball. Right. Okay? Right. Okay? So now you come to us and everybody says, these can make you better. And it's just like another workout. And yes, five years later after society has decided that they think steroids are bad, that's one thing. But where do you draw the line between medical therapy and a vitamin and a supplement right. and a steroid and everybody else on your team does it and you feel like you're letting your brother down if you're not at, at your maximum? Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of understand that. What I think is really wrong is certain players have been crucified for it and certain players haven't been discovered. Sure. And I think the same thing is happening in college basketball. And I think the leaders should really have say, hey, this is what's been going on. And let's figure this out. 
rather than have this kind of Salem witch hunt. Sure. The Hall of Fame, okay, Barry Bonds belongs in the Hall of Fame. If you can, you look. I agree. Me, you know that. I agree with that. You you look. Can you look me straight in the eye and tell me that a steroid user or an amphetamine user is not in the Hall of Fame? It's stupid. Uh, oh, oh, do I think right? Of course, uh, Mike Piazza is in the Hall of Fame. Okay, so 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 where are we going to draw this line? It, it, how, how do you figure this out? So, just if you got busted by Jose Canseco, you're right. out of the right. Hall of right. Fame. Right. 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 But if you Somehow, and, and how much of that conviction is what our perception is of people? So in other words, if any other coach besides Krzyzewski had the top three recruits in the country, mm-hmm. would there be any doubt that there had to be hanky-panky? Well, we've seen this before when it comes to Kentucky. Kentucky has had the top three or three of the top five recruits in the past. But all of us, all of us believe, none of us believe John Calipari's ever been Correct. seen. Correct. <laughs> That's the difference. That's the difference. <laughs> okay. We, 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 we know that potentially he's cleansed himself in the years. Sure. Okay. Sure. Okay. But we never believed that when he went up to UMass, that was a clean program. We never believed when he was in Memphis, it was a clean program. Sure. Okay. We believed with a lot of scrutiny on him in Kentucky that he used all of his connections to kind of seem semi-clean. But again, how clean could that be when Louisville hasn't been clean? And, and that's who they're recruiting against. Definitely. I'm with you. I'm completely with you. And let me take that and get to football for a moment because football doesn't have the same at the moment, stench on it that college basketball does because of maybe it's just smaller teams and the, the coaches, the, the Coach K and, and the Calipari, but Alabama year after year are number one. And it's because Saban's the best. And this team that he has now where he finally has a quarterback that is a true NFL prospect and whatnot, against the number three team in the country, went into, death, went into LSU and utterly destroyed them in every sense of the word. It, they are seemingly unstoppable. And you get to the point where it's like, can Alabama beat the Bills? And we, we do this every year with an Alabama team or a Kentucky team or whatnot. What makes Nick Saban so successful in Alabama? So first of all, I can tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking exactly what you're saying. LSU recruits the same athletes. They yes. get the same type of thing. 14-point favorites. And is the image of Alabama, you know, is this something that the media created? And at the end of the day, we're pulling from the same talent pool. And I don't believe, for example, that Michigan is pulling from the same talent pool, but I do believe to some extent LSU. Right. When you look at all the pros that have come from LSU. Absolutely. Is pulling from the same talent pool. I think that one of the major things is, is that basketball takes a few players. Football takes an army and a bunch of interchangeable forces. And I think that it's more than, I, I, I think that Saban truly has built an outstanding coaching staff. And I think that's where we don't give enough credit to the generals. It's not just, we always seem to kind of think like, you know, Belichick is this mad scientist genius, you know, like, right. like Einstein in a nuclear, sure. you know, understanding relativity. You know, somebody just thinks outside the box, mad professor, absolutely oh, brilliant. Right, yeah, yeah. And probably, he probably has that ability, but more importantly, he has the ability to assemble a staff that has the ability to make their players better. And Sabin has exactly the same 
capability. You look up and down that staff, there's people. One of the things that we saw this weekend was the value of experience in the college level, whether it was Michigan's defensive coordinator, Don Brown, Don mm-hmm. Brown, who's mm-hmm. about 106. I think he's been there since Shembecker. When I, he hasn't been in Michigan since Shembecker because when I was at Maryland, he was at Maryland. Right. How about that? Yeah. So he's, he's been around for, for years yeah. and, and, you know, you know, again, there's an advantage to being Saban, Krzyzewski, and Belichick in that you can take certain chances. So in Saban's case, it was bringing a Steve Sarkis in back, who's now coaching with the Falcons. Falcons. You know, he has up and down former head coaches. So I think he recruits, you know, a very good kid. I think that kids who are underneath realize that they can become better. And he turns out pros and gets them ready to be successful in the pros. So I think that one of the differences between Saban is he starts out with talent and he makes them better. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, and then you look at, for example, a school like Michigan State. When you look up and down their rosters, they're always competitive with right. three-star recruits. Right. Okay. So I think he's a really, really good coach, at least taking that talent to the next level. Saban has the unique ability to take top-notch talent. His recruiting class is a second to none. Or if they're they're second, they were second to Florida State. But they're up there. But more importantly, he makes each of these kids better players. Right. Tua is a better player. And I think that goes up and down the staff line. And then what happens is... We don't give college athletes enough credit. We all think that they're looking for an easy way out. I think they're looking to be coached. They're looking to be better. And I think that within their circles, they now know that Saban and staff are going to make them better. I think they believe the same thing at Clemson. And I think that what we thought was going to happen with more widespread, every game being on television, whereas when I was a kid, there was one game on television, maybe two. So if you didn't go to those schools, you didn't get exposure. So this opened up the playing field to a lot of other schools. But then what happened is the kids want to go to these other places because it makes them better. Right. And that's what I think it is. I, I really think it's something as innocent as that. Speaking of players that want to go other places, that brings me to Minnesota with Jimmy Butler, who took this huge stand, this media creation that he created for himself, and stood on ceremonies. He's like, I'm not playing unless I get traded. And there he was on opening night because he said, you can't win without me. And all he has done, really unlike Le'Veon Bell, is prove that he's right. The Timberwolves cannot win without him. They got blown out by 30 last night in Portland. And Jimmy Butler plays when he wants, doesn't play when he doesn't want. Back-to-backs, no, you know what? My ankle hurts. Ugh, my my hamstring's tight. And Jimmy Butler is doing a protest. And who is he to say, who are the coaches or the trainers to say that your ankle doesn't hurt you? Yes, it does. They, they, They can't tell him no. He has the Timberwolves in a situation where, quite frankly, Mitch, I have never seen before. He, because everything he has said, he's right about. And I don't think the Timberwolves can go on like this because they're constantly in a, slate of, uh, a, a state of flux. And if this team is good enough to get to the playoffs, they need him. And if they're not, he doesn't want to be there. What do you make of what's going on with Jimmy Butler? I, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really strange. Same thing with Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, it, 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 it's 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 really, I it, it, in in my mind we were just talking about Michigan. My favorite Michigan 
story, you know. Sure, sure. It was when Steve Fisher, mm-hmm. okay, um, was it Steve? No, no, it wasn't Steve. Steve Fisher became the coach. It was, um, um, I'm blanking on his name, um, the coach before Steve Fisher takes the job of Arizona State. Steve Fisher wins the national title. Um, and goes on to be you coach recently. He actually, believe it or not, he was Kawhi, I believe Kawhi Leonard's coach in the State. Yeah. State. Oh, yeah. But um, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. I can picture him. Uh, goes to Arizona State to be the head coach okay. right before the NCAA. Steve Fisher comes, becomes, and, and basically Bo Schembeck, he says, I'm leaving the University of Michigan. Bill Frieder? Bill Frieder. To coach at Arizona State, right. okay? And this was right before the NCAA statement, but I'm going to stay on board to coach Michigan to fulfill my obligation. And Bo Schembrecher stands up in, 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 in the press conference and goes, I want a Michigan man to coach Michigan basketball and fired him on the spot. Yeah. And, you know, I think the same thing's true here. I would begin with the Minnesota Timberwolves with Jimmy Butler, made it to the playoffs, okay, and got beat last year in the first round quite easily. Okay? Yeah. I can understand why Tom Thibodeau, who's coaching for his coaching career, yeah. wants to make the playoffs. But again, this goes back to the ultimate goal. And what is the goal in the NBA? Is it to be competitive, to be a championship, or to make the playoffs? I, it's going to be for championship, is it not? Okay, so... Is there any chance that you see Minnesota is currently constructed no. competing for a championship? So I I quickly said no, but that wasn't that wasn't right because last year with Jimmy Butler healthy, this team was the three seed all year long in the Western Conference in the brutal Western Conference. They were the number three seed. Are they as good as Golden State or Houston were last year? No, but they were damn good when everything was firing on on all cylinders. So. Because of how tough the Western Conference is, and particularly with Golden State, I'd say no. But they shouldn't be far off because what they've done is right, right? Carl Anthony Towns, number one overall pick. Acquire a- Andrew Wiggins, number one overall pick. Get a-, a veteran that can do everything like Jimmy Butler. Makes sense. Jeff Teague, a veteran at point guard. Tyus Jones has talent at point guard. They should be, Doc, but they're not. But So, so the big thing with that is that Wiggins ha- is, is, is not an elite player. Correct. Okay, the, 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 big, the big problem with that is Wiggins is not an elite player, and I've not yet figured out what Towns is. He's talented, okay, he can do everything, um, and I think that one of the things that we, we're losing perception of is the fact that basketball players probably peak pretty much at Jimmy Butler's age, 27 to 30. Sure. And these kids are coming into the league at 19 and 20. And we may be labeling too many as, you know, and, I, and I'm going to say this, I think player development is going to become a really, really important thing. And you're going to find some, you know, ha, ha, did anyone think Victor Oladipo was going to be the player that he is? Number two overall pick, though. Right. And then he, they were going, well, you can make that argument that Vonley on the Knicks was a high draft pick. Yes, and, he was. Absolutely. And, and, and her, uh, you know, the Herzinger was picked right after Porzingis. But this is what's happening. These, these people are coming into the league very young and we're looking at them as being has-beens in 24 and they haven't even reached their athletic peak. Right. So if you can actually develop some of these people like, you know, Oladipo, you may actually get them to the next level. So it's too early to talk about Towns. 
But Wiggins, who is a few years senior to Towns, really has not worked out as well. But I think that somebody's got to basically be willing to say, hey, you signed a contract. I'm not paying you. Right. Okay. You, you broke your contract. Right. Okay. And, you know, for as long as this contract, you've devalued my asset and you're not going to be able to play in the league. You know, as long as you're going to condone this completely, you're going to have your Kawhi Leonard's and you're going to have what's going on. And then, and, 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 you know, from the college kids, we all said it made sense. But Jimmy Butler's being paid a pretty penny to play basketball. Yeah. And, you, you know, if he doesn't want to fulfill that responsibility, I think that I would take the stand that I can lose with you and I can lose without you. Sure. And I think that you're going to be on the verge of anarchy if you don't take that stand. Speaking of teams that know a little bit about losing, uh, before we wrap up, I want to get into what the Mets did with their new general manager, and that's Brody Van Wagenen. And it's not the first time we've seen a general, a general manager be hired, uh, formerly being an agent, right? We Rob Palenka in L.A., agent. It was Kobe's agent, who the Lakers dealt with forever. Bob Myers, general manager of the Golden State Warriors, who put together this championship team and drafted this championship team, former agent. Jeff Morad, who went on to own the Padres, have a stake in the Diamondbacks, former agent. Dave Stewart, after playing, became an agent and then the general manager. We have seen this before. Precedent is already set. Because in New York, everything is amplified. It became the biggest deal in the world. The Mets hired an agent instead of a statistical whiz kid, instead of an old-timey scout. They hired an agent who they've dealt with for years, uh, given that it was Jacob DeGrom's agent, who... But it's a very interesting situation because he came out last year and said, hey, either pay DeGrom or trade him. And he has this relationship with several players on the team, Todd Frazier being another one. Justin Vargas. Jason Vargas being (laughs) one. Absolutely. (laughs) So you have all of these situations where this agent, it wasn't like this agent came out of nowhere. He represented the players and he has a longstanding relationship with the Wilpons because he's negotiated against them for years. He's negotiated against J.P. Ricciardi and John Rico and Omar Manaya for years. So my question to you, Mitch, is how does he make this work? What advantages does he bring and what disadvantages does he bring? So the fact that he's an agent or not an agent I think that there are a lot of people that are peripherally in industries who are successful people who can fulfill successful roles. So in what I do, you know, there have been a bunch of doctors that have become world-class hospital administrators. There have been a bunch of doctors that have been terrible hospital administrators. Of course. So I don't think it's necessarily the skill set as an agent that's really, really important that either qualifies or disqualifies. What I will say is if I was making the choice, I would want to pick who I thought the most successful person is, the person who would be successful no matter what they would do. So the fact that he may not be a whiz kid in terms of new informatics to me is not concerning because he can hire six of them because he knew how to get information to be, you know, what's really interesting is they didn't hire a B agent. Like they've signed B free agents. I wish they would get relief pitchers that was up on the pedestal as this guy was an agent. To be perfectly honest, 
this guy and Steve Boris are the two most successful baseball Scott agents. Boris. Scott Boris are the two most successful baseball a- agents there were. They hired the a very and, and, and Casey Close as well. Okay, okay, but but I'm, what I'm trying to say is it, he wasn't just any agent. He was at the top of the agent class. You, you, Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. This is not some no-name agent by any means. This is not like just because he's an agent or, you know, this is not somebody who's hanging out, you know, at, at the University of uh, Miami looking to try to sign anybody. This is a guy who is one of the most successful baseball agents. So comes from Stanford. I always think if you can ask the right questions, you can get the right information. And then when you have an ownership with strong opinions – I think it takes a mature person in the room to get done what, what to needs get to be to done. done. Mm-hmm. So if I had the choice between a 35-year-old whiz kid on analytics, okay, or somebody who was at the height of their profession, or somebody who was a mediocre general manager in a mid-market team, the safe bet would have been the mid-market general manager. Okay, you say, okay, we give them resources, Okay, the sexy pick would have been, oh, everybody's into analytics. But I think the smart pick would be the most successful person in the room. Now, that being said, I think he has a really, 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 really hard job. First of all, the Wilpons, Saul Katz, you know, I think the Wilpons want the Mets forever. Saul Katz probably would sell them in five seconds. But more importantly... Alderson went for it after, you know, both to get the Mets into the World Series and after. And they didn't have the greatest farm system. So he gave away a lot to kind of get them into that area Mm -hmm. and then made mistakes in signing certain people. Mm -hmm. So they have kind of a roster mismatch. Mm -hmm. They have the best starting pitching in baseball at a time when Maybe that's not as valuable as it used to be, but maybe it is in a 162-game season. They have some usable pieces in, you know, in Lugo and Gesselman. They have an emptiness at the end of their bullpen that's terrible. And their position players without Cespedes lead a lot to be desired. So then you say, trade DeGrom while his market value is high. The problem with that is by the time those players mature, where are you going to have the pitching? And they have the pitching. So I think that they're, they're, they're destined to have to go for it. Um, and that's what it sounds like he's saying. And how do you actually go for it is really, really, really tough because who do you actually choose? Um, I don't think... I'd want Machado on my team. I really don't. Um, I think Bryce Harper's going to do fine, by the way. <laughs> I, I think that, you know... They're both going to do fine. They're, they're, I, 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 th- I actually think the market for Machado is going to be a little bit less after the World Series. I don't. You really don't? I don't. You think the Yankees are going to go in big way? I think the Yankees are a lock to sign Patrick Corbin. I think that he's a lefty. He want, he's from New York. He wants to play for the Yankees. They'll give him what he wants. Do I think he's an ace? No. Do I think he'll be overpaid? Yes. But I think that's a lock of all locks. Like Patrick Corbin will be a Yankee. I think that they will be in the Machado pool. I think they will get outbid ultimately and decide, you know what? We already have... Outbid by the Phillies? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and I don't know what Philadelphia is going to do, but the Dodgers have basically said, good luck. 
which tells you an awful lot. The Dodgers have said good luck, and Machado has already said goodbye to the Dodgers, which I agree tells you a lot because the Dodgers have a bottomless pit of money. And they've said, mm, we're good. And they gave up some major prospects to go do, out and get Manny They Machado. do have Corey Seager coming back. And they Justin, do. And Justin Turner is a game. Entrenched at third, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, uh, you know, from that's understandable. You, sh- you could shift Seager to second. You could do that. You could. But you're right. They've chosen not to. And, but where do you go if you're the Mets? So, so I think he's a successful guy. I think that he's going to have influence over the Will Ponds. I think to some extent... The reason the Will Ponds, and, and I don't mean to justify because I think, you know, Fred's delightful. Jeff lives up in Greenwich. I've met him a bunch of times. But I think that, honestly, Sandy Alderston wanted to build the Mets in this direction to some extent. Yeah, I mean, you may know that better than I do, but from everything I've read, again, you have a relationship I don't, comes from the top. Everything comes from the top. Every direction Comes from there. But this guy probably is taking a pay cut to take this job. He had to be. He's making a lot of money. A lot of money. He obviously has to think that he's going to be giving... The resources. ...to to be successful. See, I think... I would agree with that. If you're a Met fan, okay, and you look at this, before you go, isn't that... Wouldn't you much rather them have to take somebody who was making a fortune, very, very, very successful... Has never failed. I mean, look at this guy's resume. I mean, he went from Stanford. He didn't just become, as I said, any agent. One of the best. One of the most successful. Why do you think he wants to, in a more public job, fail? He has, you know, he, he, he wasn't, he wasn't unemployed, willing to take any right. things. Like Doug he, Melvin. <laughs> he, he, right. he, he had to have given them a list that they had to have said yes to. So... I think he's going to get a chance to do it. And the real question is, does he ask the right questions? Sure. You do not need to be omnipotent to be a leader. You need to know how to get the best information to make the most informed decision. That's what great leaders can do. Can he ask the right questions of his, of his underlings to get that done? And I think that's the question becomes... Omar Manaya, John Rico, J.P. Ricciardi, who have been a tri- was the triumphant general manager after Sandy Alderson left. And then they're still, they're still here. Again, you, you, again I, I think that, again, if you're going to do that, you can't bring a 35-year-old Chaim Bloom into the room. Well, Chaim Bloom would not... They wouldn't stay. Okay. They'd be gone. Okay. But, you know, you can if... if he thinks that these are the right people. They can work for this guy because my guess is that he can command a room. You know, and, and New York people got kind of upset, okay, because he stood up to Mike Francesa on the radio right. and said, okay, we're going to win now. And, and right. Francesa, he said, do you think you have a good team? And he said, absolutely. Right. Okay, and Francesa said, so you don't think your team had any holes? He goes, I think we can compete right now. Right. And those, honestly... I sat there and said, that's how I would have answered the questions. If you don't have expectations for the people who work for you, why are you going to, you're going to say, okay, the last regime was there. And okay, you don't have to answer to Mike Francesa. The only person who thinks that you have to answer to Mike Francesa is Mike Francesa. Sure. Okay. He needs to do his job. And part of his job, okay, as an agent is to make sure that you believe that he has the best hand going. Okay. 
What he believes is not Mike Francesa's business. So the fact that this guy, he stood up to him one, two, three quick. And Francis said, you know, you're trying to tell me, you know, that you actually think you can compete next year. You know, with your lineup, you know, you don't have a catcher. You don't have this. He goes, yes. Okay. And why should he say, okay, Kevin Pawecki can only throw with his left hand. And my other catcher's coming off from Ulna. He's not going to devalue his assets. He learned that as an agent. He's going to make them all look good. Okay. He doesn't have to answer to this guy. And I said, you know what? He was willing to look bad, per se, in the interview and hold his ground because he knew to man the course. And I think that's the difference between somebody who's successful and has some notches in their belt and somebody who's just trying to earn their stripes every day. Dr. Mitch Roslin, clearly a fan of the Mets' new general manager. I'm not sure I am, but I think he has a shot. I just don't think... I think that successful people can be successful in any line of work and... If they're not successful the first time, they learn from their mistakes. And I think that's one of the problems that we have is that we don't realize that learning from your mistakes is a very, very important attribute that determines who's successful and who's not. Doc, this has been awesome. Thanks. Absolutely. This has been a great time. As always here at Doc Jock, I just learned more and more. I feel more insightful now. Uh, a different look at both Alabama and, of course, the Mets' new general manager. And we'll see how it plays out. GM meetings, of course, this week. We'll see if we get a jump start on free agency. And, but again, you, you know, just like every other thing, it's, it's a marathon. Remember, if you judge Bill Belichick by his first coaching, which wasn't as bad in Cleveland as you th- think Correct. it was. Okay? You judge different things. It's creating a culture, a culture that, that, that it, it starts from the top down. Alabama wasn't as strong 10 years ago as they are today. You know, and, and I think that's, that's one of the points. And I think it does start with positivity yep. and getting the right people in the right place. Absolutely. There we go. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Doc Jocko. We'll, of course, be back next Monday, we hope, for Dr. Mitch Roslin. My name is Greg Sussman. Thank you so much for watching and checking out today's edition of Doc Jocko. Make sure you check us out on demand if you listen to the podcast or check out all of our other little episodes on YouTube. Just search Doc Jock. See you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.